Act One of The Romantic Young Lady by Gregorio Martinez Sierra, translated by Harley Granville Barker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Characters Rosario, read by Jen Broda. Doña Barbarita, read by Wendy Katz Hiller. Maria Pepa, read by Sonia. Irene, read by Joanna Michael Hoyt. Amalia, read by Mira Williams. The Apparition, read by Todd. Emilio, read by Greg Giordano. Mario, read by Alan Mapstone. Pepe. Read by Jim Hedrick. Don Juan. Read by Adrian Stevens. Guillermo. Read by Jake Militia. Stage Directions. Read by T.R. Love. The action passes at the present time, more or less, and in Madrid, between one August evening and the next, at Doña Barbarita's house, and at the abode of the apparition. Act One. The scene is in a room in Doña Barbarita's house. It is a study furnished modestly but in good taste. There is a table with books, papers, periodicals, a large bookcase full of books, an easy chair, a chaise lounge, or a large sofa placed against the table, other chairs, of course, some prints and engravings on the walls, of small value but well chosen. There are doors at the back and on the right. The one on the right leads to a bedroom. The one at the back communicates with the rest of the house. At the left is a large window. It must be obvious that it is not a very great height from the street. An electric light fixture hangs from the ceiling. Another, movable with a blue shade, is on the table, in such a way that its light is useful to anyone seated or lying on the sofa and that it can be turned out from there without moving. At the rising of the curtain, Pepe, who is about twenty-one, in evening dress but without having yet put on his dinner coat, is standing before the mirror over the mantelpiece, trying to tie his tie, but not succeeding very well. Emilio, his brother, eight or nine years older, at the table is writing a letter and showing signs of impatience because the pen and ink are not working as well as he would like, and hunting among the papers on the table to find a sheet which he can substitute for the one he has just blotted. Oh, this tie! Rosario! Rosario, from the bedroom. I'm coming! What a pen! What ink! Another blot! That sheet's done for. Where on earth is the writing paper? Rosario! I'm coming, I'm coming. Rosario comes in. She is a very pretty girl of twenty-three. What is the matter? Tie my tie for me. Where is the writing paper? Rosario, affectionately. Come here, clumsy. What useless creatures men are. She ties his tie. And why, may I ask, is the baby of the family to be attended to first? 
because he howled first. Don't mix up those papers or Mario will be angry. Finishing the tie to Pepe. There. And suppose Mario is... Uh, does Mario own the whole house? Not the house, but the table. And may I ask why that dearly beloved brother of ours is to keep to himself the only place in the house where one can write? Because he's the only one in the house who does any writing. If anyone else had a claim, what about mine? To the table and the room, too. And am I not writing? Or trying to? Heaven help me! Writing a love letter is not writing. She searches the table quickly and methodically. Here you are. Paper, envelope, blotting paper, stamp. Now shall I dictate the letter as well? Uh, no, thank you. That's something. The clothes brush? I'll lend you one. She goes into the bedroom and comes out almost immediately with a clothes brush in her hand. One never can find anything in this house. Because you never look in the right place. And haven't you a bedroom to dress in? Pepe, looking at himself in the glass. I can't see myself in the bedroom. You're very smart tonight. Where are you off to? The theater. Bent on conquest? Yes, indeed. Of the leading lady? Oh, someone far more important. Of the leading lady's backer. Really? He's an American and a millionaire, and he's looking for a private secretary, and I'm to be introduced to him tonight. If he takes a fancy to me, isn't my fortune made? Off to America! I shall work for him like a nigger, and in a year or two's time, when he can't do without me, he'll give me a share of his business. Say a prayer for me, my child. My foot's on the ladder, and when I'm rich, think of all the chocolates I'll buy you. Could you stop talking just for one minute? I've made three mistakes already. Rosario, as she leans over the writing table. Passion spelt with one S again. Give her my love. Oh, but I wish you'd get married. Oh, not more than she does. Not more than you do, I hope. Well, you know, personally, now that we've waited five years. Yes, and why have you waited five years? She has to wait till you're rich enough to get married. If I'll kindly wait till you're rich, I shall have chocolates. Doña Barbarita and Mario have come in. She is a very old lady and leans on her grandson's arm. He is twenty-seven or so. No, my dear, not till then. Not all that time. Wait till I'm editor of my paper. Till I've had a few plays produced. Then you shall see. As you go along the street, you'll hear them whispering, That's Mario Castellanos's sister. Castellanos, the dramatist. While he is talking, he has crossed the room and helped his grandmother to sit down on the sofa near the window. It is quite like a fairy tale. Once on a time, there were three brothers, famous, rich, and happy. And they had a sister. Well, what about her? 
You? How do you mean? What about you? What happens to me when you're all such thrilling successes? I suppose you'll marry. Won't you? Suppose I don't. <laughs> but why wouldn't you? You're very pretty. And clever enough to be anybody's wife. Thank you. She curtsies ironically to all three. How old are you now, Rosario? Can't you remember? Twenty-three last birthday. Well, it is time you were looking around. Rosario, very much offended. What do you mean? Don't worry, my child. I'll find you a husband. Thanks. I'm not sure I'd trust to your taste. Why not? Well, if I'm to judge by the cigarette girl I saw you out walking with yesterday... Oh, did you? I must be off or I shall miss my millionaire. Good night, Grandmama. He kisses her hand. You were married three times, weren't you? Tell this silly girl how to catch a husband before she's past praying for. As he goes, he tries to kiss Rosario. Good night, ugly duckling. Run away, idiot. Don't come walking in at half past nothing o'clock now, for I'm awake and I hear you. Pepe, at the door. But my dear Grandmama, if I'm going to conquer America, you must expect me to be late home. He goes off gaily, and outside is heard singing some popular song. That young gentleman is riding for a fall. Good night, Grandmama. Kisses her hand. Are you off, too? To post my letter. And then to find consolation till the answer comes. That's what you call being in love. My good child, what do you know about being in love? I shall be a model husband. Are you taking lessons in the art? Well, anything to forget one's troubles, you know. Good night. He goes out, embracing Rosario as he passes her, while she shakes her fist at him affectionately. Rosario then picks up the torn papers which have been left on the table. She then sets all the table in order, picks up the clothes brush which Pepe has left on the chair, and goes into the bedroom and comes back again. Doña Barbarita remains seated on the sofa. Mario walks about idly, looks out of the window at the street, takes another turn, and sits down in a chair. Aren't you off too? I wish I weren't. But what would my respected editor say if he had to go to press without my column of spiteful gossip about the great ones of the earth? Wait till I'm one of them. Patience. Patience. To Rosario. Good night, my precious. Ten years hence, on such a night as this, the poor wretch doing the comic chippings in my stead will be racking his brains to think. What can I say this time about Mario Constellanos, which is precisely my trouble at the moment over my favourite dramatist? Good night, grandmother. He kisses her hand and goes out. Rosario, looking out of the window. What a divine night. 
How the jasmine smells. Waving her hand. Good luck. Whom are you waving to? Mario. To the unseen Mario. What? Wait, I'll see. As she goes to the table, she says to Doña Barbarita, His fountain pen. Here. She leans over out of the window to hand it to Mario, who is down below. Take care, you'll fall. I shouldn't kill myself tumbling six feet into the street. She waves to the disappearing Mario, then sits on the window seat with a sigh. Why are you sighing? Envy, I suppose. Off he goes, so happily. To his work? Well, one to his work, another to amuse himself, another to look for his lucky chance. But the thing is that they go, and here we stay. There is a short pause, then quickly. Have you ever noticed, Grandmama? What? How quickly men walk off once they reach the door, while we stand buttoning our gloves and look up and down the street and hesitate, as if we feared someone might stop us. It's as if they went off by right, but we were stealing out of jail. She looks out into the street and takes a deep breath of the perfumed air. Oh, what a wonderful night. She leaves the window and takes her grandmother's hand, sitting close by her. Grandmother, suppose I should say to you, I'm a free woman. I can make a will, run a business, commit suicide, go off to America, go on the stage. Therefore, I want a latch key, just as my brothers have, and I want to come and go as I like, just as they do, by day or night, without questions asked. What would you think of that? I should think it quite a natural caprice. Rosario, a little astonished. Would you give it to me? Why not? The cook's key will be hanging behind the back door. Go and get it, and go out by all means if you want to. Rosario jumps up. Now, I wonder where you'll go. Rosario, perplexed, brought to a standstill. I know. That's just it. Where can a girl go alone at this time of night without fear of being thought something she isn't? Fear. That's a woman's curse. Perhaps it's her blessing. Smiling. If we feared as little as men do what the world would think of us, we should soon be as shameless as they. And that would be a pity, for if we lost our sense of decency, where else in the world would you find it? Rosario sitting down by her grandmother again. Do you believe, Grandmama, that all men who go off at night so gaily behave wickedly? No doubt some of them do, and some try to. But most of them only want to pretend that they are being wicked. And I expect that oftenest they all get cheated out of their money and their wickedness both. And that's why they come back so depressed. Stroking her hair. I shouldn't envy them, my dear, if I were you. Rosario, with a great deal of feeling, which, little by little, changes into a pretty anger. Oh, no, not their wickedness, or even their fun, as they call it, but their courage and their confidence. 
They're so ready to fight and so sure that they'll win. I mean to get on, you must get married. To some other bold gentleman who has got on, who can afford to buy me and keep me. And when we're all rich, what a good time we'll give you. Suppose I don't want to be given a good time. Imitating Mario. That's Mario Castellano's sister. With much dignity. I don't want to be anyone's sister or anyone's wife. I don't want to reflect someone else's fame. I want to hear them say, That's Rosario Castellanos. Why can't I be myself? Are you laughing at me? I seem to remember that while the sun is masculine, the moon that reflects him is a lady. Yes, in Spanish. But in German, the sun's a woman and the moon's a man. And in English, which is a most commonsensical language, sun is sun and moon is moon, and each is itself, and no one thinks of being masculine or feminine until, well, until that particular question arises. Sits down yet again by her grandmother. You're laughing again. You don't understand. You belong to the past. You all liked being slaves. No, my dear. Only masters like having slaves. But while you want to be free of the tyranny, we were satisfied by being revenged on the tyrants now and then. How? We just made their lives unbearable. She takes from her neck a sort of triple locket, which she opens, smiling tenderly. My three masters. Ernesto, my first. Enrique, my second. And your grandfather, my dear, the third. How they loved me. And how I loved them. Rosario, somewhat scandalized. All three? Yes. Each in turn. And how I plagued them. Did you? Doña Barbarita, very pleased with her conjugal recollections. I was jealous of every woman my first husband looked in the face. And he was a portrait painter, do you remember? My second husband suffered tortures from his own jealousy of your grandfather. That was premature, but prophetic, for your dear grandfather was our neighbor in those days, and he used to stand and look at me from his balcony. And then he, in his turn, tortured himself, poor man, with jealousy of my second husband, who was dead by that time, to be sure. But that only seemed to make it worse. When I think of the times I've walked into my first husband's studio, shaking all over to see what sort of woman he was painting this time, and how much of her, and of the times when I'd glance up at your grandfather on his balcony and let my dear second husband imagine, God forgive me, that I was smiling at him, and then when your grandfather would catch me looking at my poor second husband's portrait, my first husband had painted it while they were both alive. And if I wanted to drive him to fury, I'd only to give one sigh. Well, now they're in heaven, all three, and I'm almost sorry I worried them so. And she kisses the three pictures. Oh, grandmother. 
but never forget that I was an obedient wife, gentle and loving, an angel of the fireside, an angel in crenoline. No doubt it's far nobler to live your own life. Isn't that what you call it? But I fear you'll never find it so amusing. Maria Peppa, a maid, a family servant nearly as old as Doña Barbarita herself, appears. She remains planted in the doorway with folded arms and doesn't speak. Doña Barbarita, rather ill-humoredly, she knows the footsteps so well. And what do you want? It's past eleven. What of it? You've to put in your curl papers and say your prayers. A special one tonight, too, for tomorrow was Signor Emilio's birthday. And if you stop here talking much longer, you won't be in bed before midnight. What of it? You have to be up early tomorrow for mass, and if you don't get your eight hours and a half, you'll have another of your attacks. Doña Barbarita, slyly. What sort of an attack is it you get when you try to sit still for five minutes without coming to hear what we're talking about? Maria Peppa, very offended. Little I care what you're talking about. How long have you been listening at the door? Listening? Holy saints! I heard you tiptoeing up the passage like a ghost. And if one walks like a human being, you say the noise upsets your nerves. She turns to go with extreme dignity. Where are you going? To the kitchen. My proper place. What else? Sit down. Thank you. I'm not tired. Sit down. Maria Peppa sits stiffly and haughtily on the edge of a chair. And don't start a grievance when no one has done a thing to you. We're not talking secrets. I was just telling my granddaughter... What an angel you were to your three husbands. I heard you. Rosario, bursting into a hearty laugh. Oh, Maria Peppa. Don't laugh, my dear, please. She'll take offense, and then what shall I do? Has the cook gone to bed yet? What on earth would the woman be doing sitting up to this hour? Good heavens, you talk as if it were three in the morning. Why can't you say at once that you're dead with sleep yourself? Maria Peppa, as if she had been accused of a crime. I? Dead with sleep? Oh, come along, come along. Getting up. When my maid is tired, of course, I must go to bed. Good night, my child. Sit up till daybreak, if you like. You suffer for it, not I. Rosario, kissing her. Good night, Grandmama. Doña Barbarita, patting her cheek. But don't sit up till all hours reading. No, Grandmama. She will, she will. If food failed, I believe the women of this family could eat books. It's an unnatural appetite. Well, you're no glutton. Sixty-five years I've been trying to teach you your letters. Thank you. I hear enough lies as it is without splitting my skull getting more out of books. Get back to your tub, Diogenes, and don't talk so much. The two go out arm in arm without its being quite clear which one is supporting the other.
Rosario, with her characteristic instinct of order, puts the furniture in place almost unconsciously. Afterwards, she sighs, stretches herself lazily, yawns, sighs again, yields to the little clock which is on the mantelpiece, begins to unhook her dress. When she has it nearly unhooked, she goes into the bedroom and comes out after a minute with a kimono half put on and some slippers in her hand. She finishes putting on the kimono, sits down on the sofa, takes off her shoes and puts on the slippers, puts the shoes carefully under the sofa, takes her hair down serenely, lights the lamp which is near the sofa, puts out the other light, throws herself comfortably on the sofa and begins to read. Maria Peppa comes back and goes toward the window. Rosario, without looking up from her book. What are you doing? I must shut the window. There's going to be a storm. There's a big wind blowing up. I'll shut it when I go to bed. Goes on reading. Maria Peppa, hovering near the writing table for a chance of conversation. Your brother's verses mustn't be blown about, or there'll be trouble. Put a paperweight on them. I'll put the sheepdog on them. That's heavy. It's not a sheepdog. It's a lion. Maria Peppa, placing the paperweight which is, indeed, a bronze lion. When first I saw it, I thought it was a sheepdog. I've always called it a sheepdog, and I always shall. Rosario goes on reading, but Maria Peppa goes on talking nevertheless. It was a present from Senor Enrique. That was your dear grandmother's second husband. But before he was her husband, to Senor Ernesto, that was her first husband, given on her birthday. She was twenty-three and she wore a Scotch plaid poplin with a green velvet coat hemmed with gold acorns, which was a sight for sore eyes, and I have it still put away and not at all moth-eaten. Your poor grandfather, God rest his soul, hated the sight of it. Rosario, interested in spite of herself. The green velvet? No, the sheepdog. Because your grandmother, whenever she went into the room where it stood on the table, always stroked it. So. Stroking the bronze lion. And one day, when he would have her go to the theatre with him on the very anniversary as it was of her second husband's death, which, of course, she couldn't, he changed into basilisk as soon as she had left the room, crying like a maudlin, and he took the sheepdog and threw it at Signor Ernesto's, no, at Signor Enrique's portrait, which hung over the mantelpiece, and, as it is a bronze dog, of course, the glass was broken, so he had to have a new frame made carved with a crown of laurel and beveled glass, and that cost him a lot of money. All this Maria Peppa says without taking a breath. Grandmama liked her second husband, didn't she? The best of the three? Maria Peppa, with disdainful and Olympian superiority. I can tell you this much, that your poor dear grandfather was the worst. Oh, Maria! God forgive him, a jealous, obstinate, stingy tyrant, and the only way to manage him at all was just to keep on reminding him what the perfect angel the one before him had been. 
though he had given us trouble enough heaven knows for he was a gambler and when he lost which was always the way we had to pinch and screw and that didn't come easily at all because signor ernesto he was her first though he wasn't a practical man being an artist and he told lies worse than the newspapers still he was generous and while he was alive your dear grandmamma never put her foot on the ground angels mustn't tread on the dust of the earth he'd say and not a yard did we go without our own carriage though for all that we might go to bed without supper sometimes because if he didn't paint why he didn't earn anything and there'd be times when he lacked inspiration so he said and he'd lie on the sofa for weeks at a stretch in a state of artistic torpor smoking just smoking but a kinder refinder more considerate and gentlemanly man there's grandmamma's bell that means she has finished her beads will you turn out the lights yes i'll put out the lights and i'll close the window take away those shoes please maria pepper picking up the shoes with a sigh well pray god you may never know the troubles of a married life thank you she is very offended ah oh, you mean to get married do you and to half a dozen i dare say just to outdo your grandmother well if you make your bed you must lie on it with compassionate superiority we shan't be able to help you we shall be snugly in heaven though what's going to happen there when they all three come out to meet us each one expecting to have us all to himself for eternity they'll fight it out i suppose maria that's the third time the bell has rung maria peppa calmly i hear it no doubt st peter will settle things somehow i'll shut the door there's a draught she goes out slowly having closed the bedroom door rosario tries to return to her reading but she can't do it because maria peppa's reminiscences have distracted her attention from the book she meditates incoherently half a dozen she starts reading her book aloud though in a low voice so that she may enjoy the poetry of it more love is a solitary flower of an exquisite evanescent fragrance how true a solitary flower it blooms but once in the life of the soul and then the soul which this triumphant lily has enriched this triumphant lily what a wonderful phrase dies when it dies but only for love's single service can it wish to live ah yes but then how could grandmamma have been really in love with all three of them but into a life may come visions and phantoms envoys and heralds of the true love that still delays meditating that might explain it grandpapa came last so her first and her second were heralds and phantoms perhaps but on that divine night when the love of carlos and esperanza she goes on reading in an undertone for a minute but interrupts herself almost immediately turning over and supporting herself on an elbow or was grandpapa a herald and a phantom too and did grandmamma only think she loved all three because she really never loved anyone at all i wonder reads but on that divine night impatiently 
Oh, I can't read. The wind can be heard blowing. What a wind! I'd better go to bed. But then I shall only dream of all three of them fighting over Grandmama at the gate of heaven. I'll lie still for ten minutes and think. She switches off the light without moving from the sofa and lies down again. The room remains in the dark, lighted only at intervals by the light, not very brilliant, which comes in by the window. The wind goes on howling. I do believe there will be a storm. What a dust. I'd better shut the window. Too much bother. By this time, she is half asleep. Suddenly, a straw hat, carried on the violent wind, blows in the window and falls beside the sofa. Rosario, opening her eyes. What's that? Something flew in at the window. Looking round her to see, but not getting up. A bird? A hat? A man's hat? What has happened? She looks alternately on the floor where the hat is and at the window. She gets up with a certain timidity and goes slowly towards the window. At this moment there is a tremendous lightning flash, followed immediately by a terrifying burst of thunder, and in the really infernal resplendence of the lightning flash there appears at the window the figure of a well-dressed but hatless man, who looks around the room a second and then jumps. Rosario, terrified and bewildered by the thunder and lightning, sees the man, and not knowing whether he is reality or a vision, remains frozen with horror and gasps. Jesu, Ave Maria, Virgin del Carmen, blessed souls in purgatory, blessed Saint Barbara who art enrolled in heaven. The apparition, observing that there is a woman in the room and going toward her uncertainly, because in almost total obscurity, has succeeded to the lightning flash. Don't be alarmed. Please, don't be alarmed. There is another flash, then thunder, and then a perfect downpour of rain begins. Rosario sees by the light of the lightning flash that the man is directing himself toward her, and horrified, stretches out her arms to keep him off. Keep off! Keep away! Help! The apparition going up to her. Don't shout! For heaven's sake, don't shout! I am not a thief. I am an entirely respectable person. Yes, yes, but go away! I am going, Signora, this very minute. But in the darkness he has accidentally come quite close to her, and when he moves he finds that a piece of her hair is entangled in his sleeve link. No, I, I can't. Why not? Your hair has gotten twisted in my sleeve links. Then untwist it at once. That's not so easy in the dark. Could you turn on some light, perhaps? Where is it? On the table. She starts to move, and he follows her, but in spite of his precautions, he pulls her hair. Ah! You're pulling my hair. It hurts. Ten thousand apologies. He stops, and as she is going on, he pulls it a second time. But come with me, then it won't. I'm coming, I'm coming. But as they go towards the table in the pitch dark, he stumbles, and to save himself and her, 
puts his arms round her. They fall on the sofa together. How dare you! This is outrageous! How dare you put your arms round me! Another lightning flash discloses the situation. I assure you, I did not put my arms round you. I fell, and you fell in them. And I have bruised my shin most confoundedly. This is quite as unpleasant for me as for you. She makes a gesture of protesting amazement, whether at the supposition that any man could find it disagreeable to have his arms around her or not. Then if you realize that, please move away, as far as you can, till I've turned on the light. But now your hair has caught in my studs, and if I move at all I shall hurt you extremely. Until you can turn on the light, I'm very much afraid there's no real alternative to this. Very well, then. Don't move. I mean, do move when I move. Now. She tries to find the light, but her hair is badly pulled in spite of precautions. Oh, oh, oh! I told you so. Rosario, as she manages at last to turn on the light, Thank heaven. The two then look at each other for a moment in silence and with not a little curiosity. Then he speaks, very much at his ease. Now, perhaps we can undo the tangle. If you'll try the stud, I'll do the sleeve links. They devote themselves to the job in silence. After a moment, he says quite casually, You really have most infernal hair. Rosario, offended. I beg your pardon. I meant for present purposes. Does it often get caught up like this? And do you always wear it floating in the breeze? I wear it as I choose. Quite so. And, of course, it's not very long. I, I beg your pardon. That, again, is not criticism. If I had to criticize, I should say only that you must find it most inconveniently fine. But a charming color. Rosario, furious. Thank you. And it smells of... What is it? Violets. Violets. How dare you? Don't move, please. It'll hurt you horribly. But it does smell of violets, surely. Rosario, now at the height of her indignation. Does that concern you? I never said it concerned me. I said it smelt of violets. I'm sorry that offended you, but it does. As you please. Have you finished? She has by this time got the studs free. Not nearly. Rosario, reaching to the table for some scissors. Take them! Cut it. Cut it? But what a pity. Cut it. Give them to me, then. She cuts herself free. There. She rises with dignity and turns to him. And now. The apparition, who rises too and bows to her most formally. Senora, or senorita. Rosario, without noticing either the bow or the interruption. Would you please explain why a thoroughly respectable person, as you say you are? 
She looks at him up and down and observes that he is, indeed, very well dressed in informal evening clothes. Has presumed to enter a stranger's house like this? Certainly. This high wind, which preceded this storm, blew my hat off my head, but thoughtfully blew it in here. I came in to find it. Having found it, I will, with your kind permission, take my leave. Rosario, angry again because his calm manner makes her so nervous. And so, for the sake of a miserable straw hat, you jump in at a window like a burglar at this time of night. Senora, or senorita. Senorita. The apparition, bowing and smiling. A senorita, so much depends upon one's point of view. To you, my hat. He picks it up. And I grant you, aviation is not a suitable career for it is naturally a thing of no consequence. But to me it was, and on this occasion particularly so, for I was on my way to keep a most important appointment. Indeed. And I prefer not to walk through the streets in this weather bareheaded and arrive looking like a pursued pickpocket. Sooner than take the liberty of ringing the bell of a strange house and waking everyone up, I climbed in at the window. The room was dark. I thought no one was here. I meant to get my hat and go on my way, and, if you had not made such a needless noise... Do you expect... I should have gone as I came, quite quietly, quite discreetly. Rosario, convinced, but a little annoyed with herself for having let herself be convinced. Very well. I accept the explanation. And now, having recovered the priceless object, you will be good enough to show your discretion by going as you came, and at once. She makes a magnificent gesture towards the window, and then sits down with her back to it. He goes and looks out, then turns. Senorita? Rosario, without moving. What is it? It's pouring in torrents. And what of that? Well, I haven't an umbrella. It was quite fine when I started. If I launch myself into this flood, in two minutes I shall look like a drowned rat. Rosario, with completely unreasonable but entirely feminine animosity. And quite unfit to be seen by the lady you are going to visit. He is startled for a moment. Then he smiles and sits by her on the sofa. And who told you it was a lady? Rosario, rising indignantly. Go away at once. The rain is stopping. The rain is not stopping. And indeed, it is pouring harder than ever. Rosario makes a gesture of despair. Besides, look at the concierge standing at the door of the house opposite. If he sees me jump out of the window, he'll either think I'm a thief and arrest me, or he will not arrest me, thinking that I'm leaving by the window for reasons best known to both of us, and then you will be horribly compromised. Rosario, dismayed. So I shall be. Therefore, with your approval, I'll wait till he has gone in, and that will prevent any possible scandal. Please sit down. Thanks. 
He sits at a most respectful distance. We must certainly prevent any possible scandal. There is a pause. Then Rosario's anguish develops into anger again, and she speaks half to him, half to herself. When is one allowed to forget one's misfortune in being a woman? Do you find that a misfortune? Isn't this a good sample of it? You jump out of my window with my conveyance, so people think, and my reputation is gone. Mine, but not yours. Oh, no. Do you call that fair? No, Signora. Does it seem to you just that men should have all the rights and women none? You feel you should be free to jump in and out of windows if you want to? Not at all. But I think the man who jumps out of windows should be as much dishonored as the woman who remains within. Mm, yes, there's something in that. There is everything in it. Equal rights. Equal obligations. The apparition, with a slight twinkle, with the least touch of irony in his voice, she is so very young. I see that you are very advanced in your ideas. Rosario, getting up with great dignity. I hope so. He smiles. Do you doubt it? Forgive me for questioning it just a little, when I see that you waste your time reading this stuff. He points to the book that she has left on the sofa. Really? Do you happen to know what that book is? Yes. It is a sentimental novel called A Spring Romance. Have you read it? Yes, I have read it. But it doesn't please you? The apparition with a slight grimace of contempt. Well, it isn't so badly written. It is beautifully written. But the writer's conception of life... What's wrong with that, pray? The fellow hasn't any sense. Signor! His heroine's a fool of a girl with not an idea in her head except love. All she wants is to be lied to in the moonlight by a young man who is, if possible, a bigger fool than she. Every half-dozen pages or so, they are swearing their love will endure for eternity, which is absurd, and that they'll be faithful to death, which is almost as unlikely. Good heavens! The situations are ridiculous. Now, that divine night of love in a gondola? When they float through the narrow canals of Venice. Well, now, have you ever floated at night through the narrow canals of Venice? They smell most abominably, and anything may be thrown out of windows on your head. I assure you, anything. You are very vulgar. I am a man of ordinary common sense. I like the realities of life. And if you were what you like to think yourself, a modern woman instead of being, forgive me, a girl trying to balance herself between new ideas and traditional sentiments... Senor, doesn't it occur to you that one needs now and then a dream, and a little poetry to compensate, perhaps, for those more real things which will never come one's way? This man can probe the depths, the very depths of a woman's heart. She tries to make these speeches sound imposing, but she is very young. Do you really think so? Do you deny it? 
I think that the poor wretch writes his stories as well as he knows how, and stuffs them full of all the pretty lies he can invent, in the hope of selling as many as possible, to that vast crowd of old-fashioned, romantically-minded women who... Please don't talk such libelous nonsense. He is a genius, and womanhood, all that is best in it, owes him a deep debt of gratitude. And I wish I could tell him so, old-fashioned and romantic though I may be. Well, I think that could be arranged. Rosario, marveling. Do you mean that you know him? Oh, yes, I know him. You're not friends. Well, I could introduce you both to each other. I'll write him a letter. Rosario, enthusiastically. Oh, will you? It isn't asking too much? Not a bit. He sits at the table and starts to write. And now then, hmm, I very much want you to know, senorita, by the way, uh, what's your name? Rosario Castellanos. But her face has fallen, and he notices it. What's troubling you? Nothing, that is, no, nothing. Distressed, but still determined. Please go on with the letter. What are you laughing at? You, a strong-minded, up-to-date woman, sitting quaking at the mere thought of going to call on a distinguished author, just to tell him how much you admire his work. Come, come now. Equal rights, equal responsibilities, you know. I am not quaking. I don't in the least mind going. It's only for fear he should misunderstand. What? That expert in women's hearts misunderstand? Rosario, exceedingly angry. Please go on writing the letter. Huh. Still, he's a lucky fellow. Rosario, flashing resentment at his mischievous tone. Please do not write that letter. But why disappoint yourself? That is my business. Well, let's think of some other plan. Ah! What? Have you this morning's newspaper? Rosario takes it from a heap of papers, gives it to him, and he starts searching among the advertisements. Because I rather think that, um... Yes, read that. Rosario, reading. Wanted, well-educated and responsible lady as secretary to a literary man. Typing, not shorthand. Do you think that is? I know it is. That's his address. A fortnight ago, I heard him say he'd be wanting a secretary. And this morning I saw this. What luck! You can take him the letter. I'll change it a little, on the pretext of applying for the place. He sets himself to finish his letter. Thank you. I think that I will apply for the place. What did you say? Apply for the... Seriously? Why not? I'm quite responsible and fairly well educated. I know French, German, English, besides Spanish. Splendid. Well, what is astonishing you, then? The apparition, looking round the room. It is only that I fancied, to judge by the way you live, that you had no need to... Earn my living? I needn't. 
I have brothers quite ready to earn it for me. There again, that's the bitter humiliation of being a woman. One must rise above that. I want to work, to earn the bread that I eat. I am tired of being a parasite. The apparition, as he writes, Talk like that to him, and, as a literary man, he will engage you at once. He gives her the letter while he writes an envelope. Rosario, reading it with great delight, Oh, how kind you are! When she reaches the signature, she makes a slight grimace. Your name is Obdulio? Yes, senorita. Obdulio Gomez. Commonplace, isn't it? But we're not all lucky enough to be called, as your hero is, Louis Philippe de Cordoba. Ah, well. He sighs, puts the letter in the envelope, and hands it to her. Thank you a thousand times. She puts the letter in her dress and gives him her hand. The apparition, holding her hand and bowing. Not at all. I shall be proud to have helped a little toward raising you from the humiliation of being merely a most attractive young lady. They shake hands smilingly. At the moment, Pepe and Emilio can be heard letting themselves into the house, and rather noisily, Pepe is singing. Shut up, man! For heaven's sake, you'll rouse the house! Good heaven! There are my brothers! She starts to run. The apparition catches for a minute at her wrap. But, please... Let me go! Let me go! She bolts into her bedroom, losing a slipper as she goes. The apparition picks it up and stands for a moment, holding it. The two boys are in the passage now, so he moves to the window. But before he can reach it, they are in the room. Pepe is still singing sotto voce. Oh, do be quiet. Pepe, seeing the apparition. What's that? A man! Catch him! They proceed to try. But the apparition is too much for them. He throws them both off and to the floor. Then he jumps out of the window. Thief! Stop! Thief! The noise brings Doña Barbarita and Maria Peppa in their dressing gowns. They may look a little odd, but Doña Barbarita is as dignified as ever. Whatever is happening? What is all this? Rosario appears from her bedroom, limping because she has only one slipper, but with the most innocent air in the world. What on earth are you shouting about? Emilio, who has succeeded in getting up. A man. In the room. A man? Nonsense. Was it indeed? How could he have got in? By the way he went out. The window. Impossible. <laughs> This comes of getting too merry. You see things. Well, I like that. The rain has gone to our heads, I suppose. Emilio to Pepe. Didn't you see him as plainly as... Pepe, rubbing his arm. I felt him. Well, I dare say, I dare say. But suddenly Emilio sees on a chair the straw hat. And here is his hat. His, his hat. hat! So now, what, what do, do you, you say? say? Let me see it. She takes it and then... 
deliberately throws it out of the window. What are you doing? Sending it after its owner. And now, as if in exchange for the hat, there sails in Rosario's slipper, which falls at her feet. What's that? A, A slipper? slipper? Rosario, completely off her guard. My slipper! Doña Barbarita, who has been watching her keenly. My dear child, think what you're saying. Your slipper. Your slipper. Rosario, losing her head completely. Yes, it is, but that's to say... How, How did, did he, he get, get your, your slipper? I don't know. You must know. Explain. Tell us at once. But I... It is my slipper, but... <gasps> go, go on. on. Will you go on, please? Rosario, finding no way out, falls flat on the sofa. Maria Peppa, running to her. She has fainted. Doña Barbarita, to herself. Thank God. I was afraid that it wouldn't occur to her. Don't faint. Don't be a fool. Tell us what has happened. Keep away from her. Let her be. When a woman sees fit to faint, there's no more to be said. End of Act One